Sholem Aleichem. Welcome to the Schmooze, the Yiddish Book Center's podcast. I'm Lisa Newman, and today I am visiting with two Yiddish Book Center fellows, Sarah Quiet, who also is the producer of the Schmooze, and Sophia Scholson. Welcome. Thanks for having us. Yeah, it's nice to be on this side of the mic. I'll bet. So uh, for our listeners, um, let's do a quick introduction. I'll let you guys introduce yourselves um, instead of my writing your bios for you. But again, just to preface this, you are both currently Yiddish Book Center fellows, for which we are extremely grateful and love having you here. So Sarah, tell us a little bit about what you're working on here. As Lisa said, I am producing the podcast, and I'm also working mostly in education and translation. So doing many things under the Great Jewish Books umbrella, uh, working with the book club, as well as the Great Jewish Books summer program. And on the translation side, we're just starting with the translation fellowship for this next year, which is really exciting. We're getting applications in and getting ready to review. Great. And Sophia? So since this is the Yiddish Book Center. A lot of us have work that has to do with books, but I do work primarily in the Yiddish book department with our bibliographer, David. Um, so when book donations come in, they usually come across my desk at some point. Uh, if people order Yiddish books, I'll usually handle those orders. Um, and I've also just been doing my best to get to know the collection over the past couple of months, and I've really been enjoying it. So... This week, Sarah and I were having our usual visit with one another talking about podcast options, and we thought, well, it's Thanksgiving. Let's give a nod to the holiday and see what kind of Yiddish-related uh, and Jewish-related connections we can make. So we turned the um, the task to you and asked that you search the collection to see what you could come up with. So I'm going to suggest that you're going to do the Yiddish side of this, and I'm going to do the English language side of this, okay? So you did a quick search, and you sent me an email, and I was fascinated by what you came up with. So who wants to start first? with one of the selections related to Thanksgiving. Well, Sophia is giving me particular look, which I think means that I'm going to start. Um, so one of my favorite things that actually uh, Lissa, who is another one of the wonderful people who works with books here at the Yiddish Book Center, uh, she found this good Jewish cooking cookbook, which actually is from Crisco, and it's in both Yiddish and English, and it has a recipe for pumpkin nut pie, which I thought was really interesting because the rest of the dishes are what you would expect in Ashkenazi Jewish cooking. Um, lots and lots of recipes for kugel in the main dishes, but then in dessert there are cherry pies and this pumpkin nut pie recipe which of course made me think about thanksgiving and also made me think about this world of commercial cookbooks and companies like crisco which specifically in the introduction to the cookbook talks about how all forms of crisco are kosher and parv and can be used in all parts of the meal and um, very specifically catering toward this audience, which is so interesting. And then having both recipes, which come from traditional Yiddish cooking, 
And then also having these additions, which at least I personally haven't heard of as being uh, more traditionally from Ashkenazi Jewish cooking. It's interesting because I've seen the other Crisco book, um, and sorry for our listeners that you can't see this. Maybe we'll try to (laughs) put together a slideshow on the website. But this is a different Crisco book than I've ever seen before. Mm -hmm. And quickly, one of the things that's fascinating to me is that they're done bilingually, Mm -hmm. and a lot of them are done for an immigrant population Mm -hmm. who is trying to deal with a new country, new kinds of foods, and new food prep, um, and sort of in the way that the Bintel Brief helped to um, make that transition. Is it safe to say that a lot of these cookbooks also provided that opportunity for um, the the cook? I think that's really interesting. Um, I think that definitely food and cooking, these are these very important ways that people relate to their environment. The things that people are eating have so much to do, I think, with the way that they understand the world around them. What do they bring to lunch as kids, right? What are they bringing to school? What does that represent for them? I think a lot of children of immigrants or immigrant children themselves talk about the experience of bringing food into school that doesn't look like what the other kids are eating. And so I think definitely cookbooks like this that have both both Yiddish and English, and then also recipes that represent both American traditional recipes and also recipes coming from Ashkenazi Jewish cooking show, I think, certainly that, that relationship. Um, and available foods. I mean, you, yeah. you move to a new country, spices are different, foods are different, um, and certainly um, it's addressed in there. I mean, actually, so to that point, um, one of, so I also have to credit Alyssa with uh, the books that I'm going to talk about because Alyssa has put together a really wonderful list of some of the cookbooks in our collection, which is on our website. So quickly, I'm going to interrupt you, if I may, which is just to say, um, Alyssa Sperling has been a fellow at the Yiddish Book Center, and she's now stayed on, and she is doing an incredible job cataloging all sorts of finds, and maybe you can elaborate on this a little bit more, but these um, these little pamphlets and all sorts of things, much of what um, our listeners who follow us on Instagram see are things that Alyssa has unearthed that she's be- really sort of mushing through, as it were, um, uh, the backlog of cataloging on these little pamphlets. Yes, she knows the collection better than pretty much anyone else here at this point. Um, but so one of the books that she found is a, a cookbook called Das Familienkochbuch, um, which uh, was published in New York in 1914. And actually, so the subtitle of the book translated into English is, um, so it's the family cookbook in the style of American, French, Italian, and German cookbooks, especially for the Jewish kitchen. And so it strikes me that um, in addition to the challenge of learning a new language when you move to a new country, that uh, that Food is a language in and of itself, and that perhaps for some people, learning a new language of food might be easier than learning a new actual, like the English language. Um, And that so for a while, perhaps experimenting in the kitchen with other styles of cooking, with American cooking, or with the the recipes from other uh, immigrant groups might have made the Jewish people who are in the kitchen feel more comfortable in a new place. Uh, So this cookbook doesn't have 
um, a section specifically for Thanksgiving, but it does have two, technically, two recipes for uh, cooking turkey. Um, and I actually found them, the first one in particular, very funny. So the, the book is organized uh, by the type of food. So there's a section for meat, and then there's a subsection for fowl. And most of it is about chicken. There are many, many recipes for chicken. And then there are two paragraphs about turkey. And the first one comes right after a recipe for boiled chicken. And all it says is that you can cook, you can boil turkey the same way that you boil chicken, but it's not going to taste as good. So you probably shouldn't do it. And instead, you should probably make a stuffed turkey. And then the second paragraph is a recipe for stuffed turkey. <laughs> well, they're right. You need a big pot to boil. <laughs> right, but they say that, you know, it's, it's not going to be as flavorful. Wonderful. It's going right. to be drier, and so you just shouldn't do it. But I thought it was really funny that they included that paragraph in there anyway to tell you that you could do it, but it won't taste as good. So in the same um, vein, I went and did a little bit of searching in our bookstore, our English language bookstore, for current cookbooks to see what was there because it's interesting to figure out how um how thanksgiving figured into both older um, jewish cooking and cookbooks and newer and joan nathan's king solomon's table has um joan nathan for most of you who know her um she's an amazing culinary anthropologist and unearths a lot of recipes from around the world um she has a great recipe in king solomon's table for uh, rice with turkey, beets, fava beans, herbs, and she also has a cranberry chestnut challah stuffing. Most of her recipes she finds from cooks that uh, are home cooks, and she works with them in their kitchens around the world and then puts together these recipes. So it's kind of nice as a nod to incorporating Sephardic uh, recipes um, and um, root vegetables and things that would have been part of the Jewish table long ago. Um, and up, well, not, she doesn't really update them. I think she was true to finding these recipes and um, bringing them back into publication. All right. Now over to you, Sarah. What else have you found? All right. Well, another thing that I came across, which is definitely in the vein of turkeys, as Sophia was talking about before, and also in the vein, I think, of immigrant experience and engaging with what was happening in the United States throughout Jews immigrating to this country, um, I actually found a story, an origin story for why people eat turkey for Thanksgiving. And it is called Farvos Est Man Indic Thanksgiving. So this I found in a Workman's Circle textbook uh, for children. It's from 1955. But this is the summary. So um, it's about people who were working the land and had birds who lived together. And, and they all had beautiful relationships. But the turkey was a little grouchy. Um, and that's the description in Yiddish, that the turkey would, anytime anyone would want to come and spend time with the turkey, the turkey would tell them to go away and that the turkey didn't want to spend time with them because um, they were foreign. They weren't from, they weren't from America and that the turkey was the only American. 
And the story kind of continues in this way. And then um, the people decide that they want to celebrate finishing their work. And so they decide to create a big feast and they're trying to decide what they want to eat. And there's this whole back and forth between all of the birds. The turkey is going on and on about how they should eat every other bird um, except for the turkey because the turkey is the only American and they're all strangers and they don't belong. And then in the end what happens is the people decide to have the turkey because it's supposed to be this big American feast and the turkey is the American bird. Um, So quite the story for children. But a really interesting reflection, I think, that this was in a 1955 textbook for kids, right? Um, There's a lot lot to (laughs) unpack in there, yeah? Yeah. Um, Interesting. Uh, Do you have another pick? I do have have one more book. Um, It's not not as interesting as as the first (laughs) one. I mean, in terms of the, the... the um, Thanksgiving-related recipes, perhaps not as as interesting, especially because it was uh, published not in in the United States but in in Vilna in ni- 1896. So it doesn't have any Thanksgiving recipes, uh, but it does have a couple of of recipes for for turkey as well, um, which was mostly what I was I was keeping an eye out for. Um, when I was looking for Thanksgiving-related recipes, because it's easy, the the word for for turkey uh, in Yiddish is easy to look out for. And it is um, indic. The, the there's two recipes for stuffed turkey as well. So apparently, the the author of this book was in agreement with the author of the other one that <laughs> turkeys taste better stuffed than they do boiled. <laughs> um, and then there was a, there was a, a recipe for a French-style turkey with rice, which is interesting, because uh, again taking from other styles of cooking, putting it into a, a cookbook for women. This cookbook, by the way, is called a Kochbuch für jüdische Freuen, so a cookbook for Jewish women. But again, there are other types of recipes in here. And then there was a recipe for roasted turkey. Were you going to talk about the, the word, Sarah? When I started looking into these books, potentially for Thanksgiving or Thanksgiving-ish books, I, I remembered learning from my Yiddish tutor in college that the word for turkey was indic. And she said that it was indic because that's, you know, comes from the word for India. Um, and we had this whole conversation about it that was really interesting. And the history of that word is really interesting because people have traced it from Polish likely and that it likely came from Polish from other languages in Europe as well that if you look at I think French if you look at many languages have words that come somehow from that um, that root of you know words that are for India and that it again comes from this um, these stories from Great Britain and interestingly entered Yiddish. It's not actually coming from people who were speaking it in the United States, but coming from languages in in Europe. Which I think is some of the takeaway on a lot of these recipes, that a lot of these recipes are sort of 
borrowing from old recipes, old ways of um, combining foods from places that Jews lived, and then finding new ways of reinventing them, or um, I think that's a safe way to say it, um, in new countries where new options are available. The, you know, I looked up cranberry on our website. And thanks, I looked up the word Thanksgiving. I did a search for Thanksgiving. And I found a lot of oral histories and a couple of other things. Um, but I tried cranberry, and I know you'll be shocked, but I came up with absolutely nothing. <laughs> <laughs> but um, I did find, again, I'm going to go back to the contemporary cookbooks. Um, I did find in the Second Avenue Deli, um, a recipe for meatballs and cabbage, and it starts off with a little preface saying, we're not sure how it happened, but a lot of Jewish recipes use cranberry sauce for piquant sweetening. Um, so apparently cranberries find their way in the new world um, to a lot of different recipes. Um, and the other is this, uh, again, from Joan Nathan's Jewish Cooking in America, I found a Jewish Cuban Thanksgiving meal is American in the real melting pot sense, she writes. It includes a roast turkey as a centerpiece surrounded by cranberry sauce, plantains, rice, black beans, and stuffed derma with pumpkin pie dessert. For Thanksgiving, we become Cuban America, says Sarah Cupson, one of the 15,000 Cuban Jews now living in Miami, Florida. So it, it's, again, interesting when you begin to do that little dig through our collections to find these books, um, through the oral histories to hear people recounting how their Jewish American families celebrated the holiday and incorporated it, and then to see aspects of these recipes or ingredients coming into new cooking or anthropological <laughs> culinary <laughs> studies of what's out there. Um, so I'm just going to end by asking you both a little bit again about our collections and all that we're learning from them. And actually, which makes me think I could ask you, Sarah, about um, our latest post on Teach Great Jewish Books, which is a site that you work with. Mm -hmm. um, and there's a really cool piece by Jessica Kurzane about Hanukkah Happy guilt. Yeah. Okay, it's not Thanksgiving, but we're going to be like <laughs> like all the stores and start early. Um, <laughs> so can you talk a little bit about that? It, it is food-related, right? Chocolate. And Hanukkah is early this year. Oh, okay. <laughs> I can speak a little bit about Teach Great Jewish Books first. So Teach Great Jewish Books is a website. It has resource kits for teachers because it's working to make Jewish topics, Jewish themes more accessible to teachers who might not be familiar with them, or they might be, and they are really busy because we know that teachers have a lot on their plate in order to bring those topics into their classrooms where... Uh, where it makes sense to. So they have sources and suggested activities. And one of those is Hanukkah Gelt uh, by Jessica Kirsten. And um, that kit has great resources for teachers who are looking to teaching around Hanukkah in the classroom. So, so um, as we wrap up, and get ready to finish our last full day here at work before we run off for the holiday. Um, I, I just, I guess I'd ask each of you, it doesn't have to be related to Thanksgiving, turkey, cranberry, whatever, but both of you access our collections and our website and things like that. Can you give me one quick, fun find that you've had since you've been here? Well, I've been doing quite a bit of uh, book sorting 
recently. Um, and I keep, I mean, I find all of all of the books interesting because I know so little about them at this point, although I'm very quickly learning. Um, but I'm also, I'm always uh, particularly fascinated by uh, texts that I know from, that were originally written in other languages that have been translated into Yiddish. Uh, and so I recently came across several copies of uh, Thus Spake Zarathustra by Nietzsche translated into Yiddish, which I thought was fascinating. Um, and I've come across quite a bit of Baruch Spinoza translated into Yiddish, which is also interesting. And has, that's, there's a lot of layers to that history, I would say. Um, but then most recently, I found a copy of uh, The Picture of Dorian Gray by Oscar Wilde translated into Yiddish. Uh, and I'm very tempted to sneak it off of the pile that I placed it in and bring it over to my desk so I can look through it. Well, we'll have you back on the air after you do. <laughs> <laughs> Great. <laughs> and Sarah? Hmm. So I've been looking a lot for the uh, original Yiddish of certain texts that um, are coming up in education uh, or people have been really focused on them, writing about them in various ways. And I recently uh, came across a Yentl <laughs> Yeshiva Bucher, um, Yentl, the Yeshiva Boy, which is Isaac Beshevitz Singer's short story that he also adapted into a play. And also, which is, I think, pretty well known by Barbara Streisand's Yentl, although the stories in each of those three are, are definitely slightly different. And it was really awesome to read it in the original Yiddish in Die Goldene Kate, um, which Sophia helped me find. Uh, it's not a particularly special or, you know, you can definitely find copies of Die Goldene Kate. But I think for me, because I had read the short story and I know the movie Yentl, it was just a special thing for me, I think, to find it and read it in Yiddish and be able to see all of these links between between those three. So, Well, thank you both for unearthing some new finds um, and for the work that you're doing here on an ongoing basis. It's great to be working with you this year, um, and we'll look forward to seeing what else you find. Um, I would mention, too, that on our website, I think Alyssa has put together a list of um, cookbooks, um, which is great. It's a very comprehensive uh, list with links so that you can find the books in our collection on our website. So at YiddishBookCenter.org and search cookbooks, um, and you'll find that. And also some of the books that uh, I've unearthed in our bookstore are available. Um, we have a great collection of Jewish cookbooks from a range of authors. So again, thanks. Happy holidays to everybody. And if you find any more references on our website about cranberries, turkeys, stuffing, or what have you, just write to us. Thanks. Thank you so much for having us, Lisa. This was really fun. Thanks for schmoozing with us. Uh, take care. <laughs> Bye-bye. You've been listening to The Schmooze, a podcast of the Yiddish Book Center in Amherst, Massachusetts. I'm Ada Hetko, fellow at the Yiddish Book Center. To subscribe to this and other podcasts, visit our website, www.yiddishbookcenter.org. While you're there, I recommend listening to episode 191, the Schmooze Live at Yidstock, where Zeke Levine interviews Henkis Nutsky, Steve Weintraub, and David Krakauer about Yiddish music. 
Seid mir stark und gesund. Be well, be healthy, and tune in again soon.